It's tangent time. I don't know why I delayed that for so long. I'm used to my one app um, that I used <laughs> where if I start talking right away, it doesn't catch the first like second of it. And y'all know I talk real fast and I talk a lot. So <laughs> yeah, um, it's been a day. Therapy was definitely an interesting one. Uh, we've been talking about the events of the past week between work and home life and all that fun mostly home life stuff because that's been fun to deal with but I'm not going to focus on that instead I'm going to focus on the holiday season because I am I've decided my one friends um my my couple friends do a lot of baked good stuffs over the holidays and they'll give out like cookie boxes and stuff and I've kind of always liked the idea of doing that but I've never really had a lot of people to do stuff like that for so it isn't really worth um you know baking a lot of things for just like three people one like two in the same household um so like by that I mean I would have usually just done that stuff for MJ, my sister, and I, because I wasn't very, very close with these people, like with my friends now, like I was before. Um, we were work friends, but we didn't hang out much outside of work, and then we just didn't really talk a lot outside of work either. Um, the, a couple of us did, but we weren't like that close, or I didn't feel as like, I could be that close with them, so I was like, well, I don't want to give them stuff and, you know, not know if that would be weird or not, so I never did it, but I've always kind of half wanted to, so this year, so far, because I only just decided this today, I'm going to do dried fruit paraphernalia stuff, like, I'm doing dried bananas today, I started a batch of banana chips, um, I'm gonna go pick up more bananas, probably tomorrow, because I don't work tomorrow, um, and then, uh, my one friend said she liked apricots, so I'm gonna do some apricots for her, um, my one friend has not had dried banana chips yet, like, it's kind of amazing, but, so I'm gonna bring some by for her to try, if she likes them, I'll make more for her as well, um, I did try some oranges the other day. I did some with, they have cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, and some have some instant coffee on them as well. Um, so I'm going to give her a couple of those because I definitely way, made way too many. I'll get better at those eventually, but uh, I definitely made way too many. It was fun to do, but I have a lot, so <laughs> I'll bring some by for her tomorrow so she can hang them up on her tree or do whatever she wants with them. Um, and then she'll try the banana chips at the same time. And if she likes them, I'll make more. I have done nine bananas tonight. And I still have, I actually missed a tray because I had let it, it, it sat in the drain rack from when I did the oranges and I forgot about it. But it's probably for the best because those nine bananas that I did filled up the trays perfectly. And I would end up with leftover banana if I had done another whole tray. Um, I have six bananas left, so I definitely need to go pick up some more. Um, especially if I want to give them any decent amount, and I know I could go through them like nobody's business, and so can tiny humans, so. Gotta go crazy with the bananas. So, the thing about making banana chips is you have to be strategic about it, because if you buy too many bananas, they're gonna go overripe by the time you get to the last batch. Because they take anywhere from, like, 9 to 12 hours, depending on the heat that you have them on, and, and you know rotation and stuff so I know that I'll be rotating these around the time I go to bed because I started them around 8 44 give or take so that'll give them 9 10 11 12 one maybe about five hours on one round um, so I'll rotate them that way after I go like when I go take my meds um and then I've got, like I said, I have six bananas left. So I definitely need to go pick up some more for tomorrow so that I can do more tomorrow. Um, and like I said, I'm going to try and do apricots as well. I've never dried apricots. I did, the oranges turned out better than I thought. I do want to cut them better next time 
but um because they are definitely very uneven which is very obvious unfortunately <laughs> but uh yeah but um there's other like i'm gonna try apples oh well, try i've done apples but i'm gonna do apple chips as well i think this time i'm going to try them with a bit of cinnamon i'm gonna do some with cinnamon some without um because i know that they'll taste good with cinnamon i've just never tried it with cinnamon yet but i'm gonna do that or i don't know what else yet <laughs> um Part of me would love to do fruit leather, but I don't have the drying trays for fruit leather. I do have parchment paper, so I guess I could just put parchment paper down. But I've never done fruit leather, so I know that that one's a little bit pickier. Literally, drying fruit is just cutting it up, putting it on, leaving it. So, <laughs> easy peasy. Um, but it's fun, and it smells nice in the house, which is always nice as well. Um, yeah... Because I love drying bananas. I find, though, that by the time I get to the next batch, which is usually the next day, <laughs> I've already eaten a good chunk of the ones I already made. <laughs> which, you know, means that I just got to make more. But the thing is, is I have, I think it's a six tray or a five tray. I'm not sure. I don't remember off the top of my head. And I definitely was not keeping track of how many trays. It's it's not big, but... um because it's not big I can't do as many as I'd love to be able to do like I think my parents have a bigger one or a slightly taller one so they can do a lot too but you also gotta like I said especially with bananas you have to buy them strategically because you want to buy some that are very green if you plan on doing a large amount of them like you want to buy some as close to ripe as possible um, some of the medium stages and some that are very green so that you can kind of stagger it or just keep going to the grocery store um since i don't live far from the grocery store it's more convenient for me to do it that way um just because then i can stagger buying the bananas rather than buying them because i f i swear they just seem to go f like ripe and then as soon as they're at that perfect stage they just go from that to like all right we're dying and I did think about baking banana bread muffins. That was another thing I half thought of, too. Because I was like, you know what? I could do banana bread muffins. Um, I got a hankering to want to make gingerbread cookies. Even though I've never made those before. Kind of wanted to do that. So I'm going to look up some recipes for that. I have done shortbread cookies. And I... They turned out really freaking good. My bosses, when I brought them just this was back in my subway days. When I brought them to work, oh, my bosses were like, oh my god, these are great. Like, I can never get my shortbread this good. How? And I'm like, I don't know. I just found out the recipe. But uh, yeah, they really liked them, and I have not baked them since. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's fun to bake, and it's fun to give out stuff. Is expensive to do though which is why I haven't done it very often but something I thought of this year is that like we've never none of us have really kind of expressed that that's something we're going to do or that we do like Christmas cards or gifts or anything like that we don't generally do those like I said my one friend uh my group of my, my sibling friends they make this stuff and they'll do cookie boxes each year. But I just, it's, it always kind of still surprises me. I was closer to the one than, than the other at the time when I first met them. So like I hadn't, I talked to the other, but like we weren't really, I wouldn't have considered us friends mostly until this year. Um, Even though we were like work friends, I would say. I don't know. For me, there's different levels of friendship, and I don't know if that's the same for everybody, but, like, um, there's, like, classmate friends where there are people that you would, like, talk to in class and not outside, work friends, which are people you would talk to at work and not outside, and then friends that you would just talk to whenever, outside of, outside of work or with work or whenever, wherever, you know. So the one sibling and I... I would have considered us work friends up until about this year because this year is the year her and I started talking a bit more as well. So, <laughs> um, 
And then the other two work friends that I have, I guess three, um, it's just one of them is the one of them is um, my one friend's girlfriend and we were work friends as well. I don't talk to her as much alone outside of the group chat and stuff. I'll talk to her sometimes, but mostly it's she's still a friend. She's still a friend, but my brain hasn't formed the relationship as a friend without my other friend, if that makes sense. It's a weird definition, and I know most people probably aren't picky about how they label their friends, but my brain kind of sorts them into small categories, and it doesn't mean anything, but it's just easier for me to, like... <laughs> I don't know when I <laughs> I'm this weird person, though, I'll talk about like my group chat friends or my campground friends or my college roommates, which are my friends. But I'll refer to them as my former co co college roommates when I'm describing them to other people, even though they are my friends. Like, but I'm just that weird person. I'll talk to like and I'll refer to my subway coworker friends as my subway friends and like maybe it's just me who does that, but I tend to I tend to put people in little categories. And I've never considered that that's not something most people do, but it just for me it's easier to like how I met them. So like, all my friends right now are work friends, or K-pop friends, or <laughs> college friends. <laughs> when I'm describing them to other people, um. But y'all are still my friends, so don't get that, don't get that twisted or mixed up there. Y'all are still my friends. <laughs> I just have different ways of categorizing you in my head. <laughs> it's like if you have like cue cards. So how did you meet? Oh, this is my college friend, or oh, this is my coworker from Subway, or my coworker from my previous, like my current job. I don't talk to anyone I worked with uh, at Timmy's anymore because obviously, like once I moved from London or to London, that was kind of it for it. But, like, it's one of those things. It's just a weird way that I kind of categorize. Like, my one friend is my K-pop friend, but I literally met her because she and I traveled to London together. We met at the airport. Um, but a, a mutual at the time had been in the same group chats that I was in. Um, and we had talked about going to see, like, I talked about going to see the show. And she's like, oh, my friend is going to see him, too do you guys want to introduce, like, do you guys want to, like, can I introduce you to her properly so that way you guys don't both have to go alone? And lo and behold, it's, like, over three years later and we're still really close friends. And she's my travel friend. She's how I categorize it as my travel friend because she's the one I've done all the traveling with. And I don't just include going to Toronto because my former 11-year friend was my one I would go to Toronto with, but... We had never really been outside of Toronto, except for maybe the Hamilton BTS concert. And then I've got cosplay friends who I met through my anime club or from cosplaying in general, like, or clubs and stuff, or, like, going to conventions. So, like, I've got weird categories, but it doesn't mean anything as far as, like, my level of closeness goes, with the exception of my work, like, coworker friends as far as... Literally, they'll just be work friends. They don't even get, like, coworker. I don't know why my brain does it that way. My coworker friends are the friends that are friends I met through work. My work friends generally just means that I'm only friends with them at work. Outside of work, that's kind of it. We don't talk or anything. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's a weird, weird thing as far as my brain category goes. But, like, because I've got work friends as far as, like, those are people that in the building when I worked there before work from home, I would talk to them on shift, etc. And there was, it was fun and dandy, but we never would talk outside of work. And we don't talk now that we've been work from home, which no loss, really, no offense to my co-workers. But whenever people at work would say, like, in team meetings or something, um, oh, you know, I miss the work, like, I miss the co-workers, I miss the conversations, I miss blah, blah, blah. I'm sitting here thinking the one thing that I really miss is I miss, like, having a cafeteria type of deal. <laughs> I don't miss spending the money on the cafeteria stuff, but uh, that's the only thing that I really miss, aside from the fact that 
there was a convenience store that I also would buy my bus tickets at. <laughs> I would get run from there, buy my bus tickets there, um, and occasionally buy some of the spicy noodles, but I've got a whole bunch of the spicy noodles now, so that's not a problem. So, like, I don't miss the non-friend co-workers. I don't miss any of that. I don't miss being asked a million questions during a day when I'm also dealing with my own customers. Because I had a coworker who sat kitty corner to me and he would ask me all sorts of questions and I would tell him, look it up, search that in this document, like just, just do your own job, basically. I don't miss that. I don't miss that at all. So, you know, I do miss being floor support. That was a thing I absolutely loved to do. It was where we would be off of whatever we're doing and we would walk around and answer questions, sometimes take escalations, blah, blah, blah. I enjoyed that. I do enjoy that. I also do miss the walking to and from just for exercise sake. I don't miss it during the winter. But, like, it's 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 not work in the building with the people <laughs> that I miss. I don't miss that. <laughs> Um, I've actually been looking for new work because this is not doing it for me anymore. I've come to a conclusion over the past few weeks here that this job is no longer working for me. I'm far too burnt out from it. Um, they recently tried to screw me out of PTO and I don't even care if it's paid time off, to be honest. Those two days that they took away, I don't care if they're paid, but I'm not coming in like... I don't care if they're documented as unpaid, but my time that I had booked, I had booked the last week off of December because according to the system that allows us to book time off, I had 30 hours left, 30 and a half actually, um, at the beginning of the month. When I had originally booked off my time for the holidays, I only had enough for two days. So I booked off 26th and 27th, I believe. And then 28th, 29th, I think I would have already had off or 30th or whatever. There was a whole little chunk of time that I would have already had off that I didn't need to book. But I had booked off these other couple of days when my 30 hours came up. Because when I had finished booking time, I had six and a half hours left, according to the system, when I was able. When, sadly, you can't book off a full day if you only have, like, six and a half. And I didn't want to just put in, like, oh, this is six and a half hours and then two hours of, of work doesn't really make a lot of sense, so I just left it. Um, but then another, I guess it would be 24 hours came up because it made it 30 and a half. So 24 hours popped up. When I went to check it at the beginning of December, it was December 2nd, and it said, oh, you have 30 and a half hours. So I'm like, all right, cool, because I know I'd been there for five years, and after five years, you're supposed to get three weeks of paid time off. So I thought those extra hours came up because of my tenure, with this company. So I booked him off and then the schedule has come out and I checked the calendar and it's a damn good thing that I did because they took away the 28th and 29th, which I'm like, that's not right because that I'm supposed to have three weeks. I have a total of 14 blue days, which are PTO 14 like days where PTO is used, either VGH PTO, which is like voluntary go home, and then we just PTO the rest of your shift, pay time off the rest of your shift, or, you know, time I actually booked off. Or there was, I think, a couple where I was going home for the day because of mental health and they just used my pay time off, which I approved them doing. The thing is, though, we were told that at five years, you get three weeks, but then somewhere along the line, halfway through this year, they decided to change how they give us paid time off, and now it's based on an accrual over the certain amount of hours worked, which that means you're pretty screwed for your third week because if you miss any work, you don't get that. The issue also lies in if you do accrue your third week of paid time off, you can't really use it because the only time you would have the amount that would give you the three weeks is at the end of the year. But they don't let you book time off at the end of the year. They're very picky about time off at the end of the year unless you manage to get it in early enough. Issue being you also can't get it in prior to two months. You can't book ahead more than two months, I believe, at a time. That's all grayed out. Like, it's all unavailable to book off 
which to me is bullshit, first of all, because that means based on how they calculate time off, they don't really give you unpaid time off unless it's like an exception to the rules. Like if they'll, they'll go like they'll make it seem like they're going out of their way to approve it as unpaid time off, which it shouldn't matter to the company if I don't want to go into work, but I don't care to not be paid. That shouldn't really matter. It shouldn't be up to the company to decide, oh, no, you can't go. You can't book this off and, and not be paid for it. To me, that feels shady. I've never had a job not really give you an option for unpaid time off. Like, these guys have to go in and manually approve a day of unpaid time off. So I gave my boss a very long email in which I had almost said I quit in. I almost quit when I saw that bullshit because I'm so fucking tired of dealing with it. I didn't, though. But I had a long rant in which I talked about the amount of time you get for paid time off. I'm like, say someone wants five days, like wants a week off. Five days of paid time off and two days of your regularly scheduled time off. That is already more than half of the quote-unquote guaranteed paid time off. That leaves you with four days of paid time off then that you can then use for the rest of the 12 fucking months in the year. Based on what this is saying here, like... Because our hours are eight and a half. You work a nine-hour shift, you get paid for eight and a half because we don't get paid lunches, which is totally whatever, not a big deal. But they don't count, especially when we're doing eight and a half. They don't, they don't count that or factor that in for our two weeks of ba- vacation time. So when you're working an eight and a half hour day and you book two days off, that's another hour of paid time off that is no longer available. So for however, like, I'll go do my calculator because this is stupid. Calculator. So 8.5 times 5 is 42 and a half hours versus 8 times, oh no, hang on, we got to clear that, versus 8 times 5, 40. So that's two and a half hours gone of other paid time off based on how they calculate it. They calculate it as eight-hour shifts that are accrued for your two weeks. So two weeks, so 14 times eight is, no, I don't think that's right. No, it's 112 hours. And then you minus 42 and a half. That's 69 and a half hours. I don't think that's right. Uh, I don't know. Math is stupid. Okay, so 14 days times 8 hours is 112 paid time off hours. I don't think I did this math right somewhere along the way with my email to my boss. Let me just quickly review it. Because I did actually send a to a friend. <laughs> okay. I said, let's see here. Okay, yes. So I said, for some people, because of the option of not being able to get paid time off, I said, I know it isn't you, but this job generally does not give out unpaid time off. So no matter what we, like, so no matter what, if we have plans that have to take place on a normal workday, we either have to call in sick or use PTO. We don't have an option or at least it's never really presented as one we can use um, unless it is an exception for unpaid time off. Otherwise, I would have used my, like, saved my paid time for, like, otherwise I would use that and then save my paid time off for a vacation. Like, I had no problem doing that. When I worked at Subway, I would have most of any time I booked as unpaid time off, and then whatever vacation pay I accrue at the end of the year gets paid out on a separate check. The reason I don't accrue my pay time off to be paid out anymore is because I got fucked over the first time I did that. My two jobs previously had always given us vacation time on a separate paycheck so that way we didn't get taxed out the nose. 
This job puts it on whatever the fuck paycheck they decide they want to. Sometimes we get it early in the year. The first year, I think we got it in March or something. Then it was May. This year, we didn't see it until halfway through the fucking year. And then they just throw it on whatever paycheck. Like, they claim to try and not put it on one that commission is released on, so we also don't get taxed out on commission as well, because, quite frankly, it's bullshit how they do that vacation payout. But, you know, my first year, I didn't know that the vacation wasn't paid separately, and that was a courtesy that my two other jobs had done, and I thank the lords for them doing that, because sometimes it was like a full second paycheck, based on the fact that I never used pay time off. But this job, I was supposed to get $500 around there. It was like more than that, but it was um, about 500 of paid time off as a vacation payout, like as my payout. But I got taxed $400 fucking dollars, so I only saw $100 of my paid time off. Needless to say, since being screwed over then, I started taking my vacation pay, and if I had leftover, I would throw it in at the end of the year. And I've been doing that for four years. That's been my MO for the past four years because at this point, they don't pay me enough to get paid out and taxed on all my vacation time. But I could also still take it as unpaid time off. That was always an option. This job makes it seem like it's such an inconvenience for them to approve any unpaid time off. So what I had said um, was... I, for some people, this method may not be an issue, but this is something that bothers me. I can't speak for others, but say you have one week planned for holidays, five days PTO, two days scheduled off. That's already 42 and a half hours out of like 80 since they base the two weeks on eight hour days, not, not eight and a half. That leaves you around 37 and a half other days in 12 months that we quote unquote know, because like I said, two weeks is the minimum that we know we could potentially have off. That's four days out of 12 months. Like, mm, I don't even know the semantics of how the five-year thing works, but like I said, I know I only have 14 blue PTO days on that calendar, and not all of them are eight and a half hours. So based on how I was led to believe time off was available until they changed it with no warning, like little to no warning in the middle of the year, I would have had used my paid time off differently. But because they changed how it's calculated, um, now it shows up one way in one system, and then in the system we're supposed to be booking our time off in, it shows in off like it shows up differently. So the system that they give us with our schedules to book this paid time off shows me, like showed me at the beginning of the month that I had 30 hours, like 30 and a half hours of paid time off available. But when they look at my accrued time off during like whatever on the paycheck itself, it shows me that I actually am in the negative, which based on what my one friend was talking about with her paid vacation, like her vacation payout, she was being screwed around with her vacation pay. I trust the company. I am, I put a lot more faith into this company than I realistically should to not be screwed over. I don't look at my paychecks. I assume this company knows what they're doing and that I'm being paid according to the work I do. Based on what my friends have said with their paychecks, there's a lot of issues going on with how they pay us, like how they pay us. And that's a real problem. And I shouldn't have to scrutinize every paycheck to make sure this shit's being billed out according to how it's supposed to. I trust the company to do that. But if they're not, that's a real problem. I have never had pay issues or vacation pay issues until I worked for this company. And that is six years at two different jobs that's six years accumulative, and I've never had as many problems as I have in the five years I've worked here as far as vacation payout goes. Because the same sort of thing happened last year where they screwed over my pay time off. I had booked out an entire like week and a half of the last time, half of the year because during the height of COVID, I wasn't doing anything. There was nothing to do to book time off for. This year, I'm actually was, I was actually doing stuff that required booking pay time off. Because I would do this during like the middle of the week. So I was using my vacation pay this year. But I also thought I was going to have three full weeks of pay time off available to me. Based on the fact that this was my fifth year. But no. So, um, yeah. 
So I said I um, what I had said here. I trust the company to be responsible and accountable with the systems they choose to have an accurate representation of the time available to book off versus the time accrued to book off without me having to verify based on um, confusing numbers on a paycheck. So I bank on the time in IEX to be correct, and I figured since I've reached the five-year tenure, that was the reason the extra 30 had shown up, because when I had booked off the original two days, I was only left with six and a half hours left. And I said, honestly, at this point, I don't know if I care to fight the company about this thing or things like this anymore. And I'm like, again, I know it isn't you because it's not my boss. He's very good about doing everything he can for us. But I'm like, it feels like I'm throwing a brish, uh, like a fish at a brick wall at this point with all the shit they try and screw us over with. And I'm just tired of fighting it quite honestly. So yeah, I've been looking for other work. I found an interesting field that I knew existed, but have never really had an option to kind of pursue. And that is editorial stuff. So I'm, I'm poking around in the editorial stuff. I do have to revamp my resume, but I also figured out that I can use some of the editing stuff that I've done for people as freelance editing. So I can throw editing experience on my resume because I have been doing that for someone and for a couple of people over the course of the year and a bit. Like I've been doing it for probably about a year and a half to two years now. So I've been doing some freelance editing. I can put that on a resume and I can also revamp a lot of how I've phrased things like my resume is still really out of date. It's basically the same thing with a couple of updates as far as job stuff goes. Um, since it's basically been the same resume format since high school. <laughs> so needless to say, it needs an update. But also, like, it's up to date as far as work experience goes, but it's just not a good format anymore. And God fucking knows jobs these days just want the moon and then to pay you nothing for it. Like, when I was scrolling through some of these things, jobs that require master degrees are literally paying about a dollar over minimum wage. And I'm sitting here thinking, how is that value for this person's time and effort and money spent on school? Like, you want one year of work experience, master's degree, and to pay about minimum wage. Just barely a hair above minimum wage. Like, mm -hmm. Master's degrees are far more expensive than a regular graduate degree. That is um, not a fair trade, especially because you also want work experience at what you have deemed an entry-level job. I saw one that was listed as entry-level but asked for a year of experience. I'm like, that's not entry-level. If you want experience, that's not entry. Entry to me or to normal people means you don't need experience. <laughs> Like, the problem, too, is that a lot of people want you to have this experience, but you can't get it unless you're not paid for it. Like, a lot of the experience that you can get has to be through an internship. I can't afford to not be paid for my work, and I cannot afford the stress that a full-time internship would cost me to also work a full-time paid job. Like, <laughs> I saw some interesting things when I was perusing through editor stuff or writer stuff and I'm just like how is someone supposed to get experience when you will not hire without experience like what do you want me to do give you my high school shit as an example of writing or my college shit as an example of writing or random social media stuff as an example of my writing like <laughs> um no Honey, no, that's not how it works. But what they basically want, I saw some journalism stuff where they're like, we want you to have a journal, like a bachelor's in journalism, three years of work experience. And this is for very little money, like $20 is only about four above minimum wage. Right now, I think our minimum wage is around, oh no, maybe it's around, what's our, I don't even know what our minimum wage is anymore. Either way... They'll pay $20 an hour, which is not a lot given the cost of a master's degree plus three years of experience of work. So, you know, like, and they saw some too. One of the one of the fun ones that I was interested in until I saw the requirements was that um, you would be working as a gaming review 
like you would be working as a game reviewer um, for a company. But when I saw the requirements of 50 articles a month, I'm like, 50 articles a month? That's more than two, like, that's almost two articles a day, which doesn't sound like a lot when you break it per day, but that's seven days a week. 50 articles is seven days a week. When you work four, or like, if you work five days for four weeks, that's 20 days that you're working. That's more than half, like, that's two, that's more than two articles a day that you have to write, which depends on how long they want these articles to be. If they're tiny little paragraphs of a game review, sure, that is more than doable. But if you want a full game review and article, you have to play the game. You have to put the hours into the game as well as your time to write the thing too. There's no way you can accurately review a game after an hour unless you're playing something like Tetris or Quick Games, like any sort of story-based game. You can't do in in a couple of hours. So, like, what the fuck do they expect that job, like, for that person to do if they want 50 articles a month? I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like, we're not talking basic, simple Amazon reviews. Because a game review, you're not going to be like, oh, game is fun, great, thanks. No, they're going to want in-depth about the game. Like, oh, the graphics are amazing. Gameplay is smooth. Like, blah, blah, blah. I don't game review. I'm not a, like, I'm a gamer, but I don't review games. But, like, they're going to want more in detail than, oh, yeah, game is great. Colors are pretty. Music is nice. Uh, you can move real smooth. Like, you got to jump. And, like, they'll probably want more details than that in their reviews for these things. So, like, how are you supposed to play the games? And review 50 of them. Unless you're supposed to lie. Like, what? Or rip off other people's reviews and shit. Because I'm sure that would be, like, 50 articles a month. That is fucking ridiculous. So, yeah. And they said flexible hours, close, tight deadlines. Be good with under pressure for deadlines. And I'm sitting here with 50 articles a month. Yeah, you're going to have, like, a deadline of two a day. Oh my god. And I saw that and I'm like, whoa, okay, why? But that was actually in the job requirement. <laughs> and that was in the what's expected of you section. And I'm like, damn. Unless I misread it, which they said 50 articles a month. Maybe they meant the company gives out 50 articles a month, but that was not clear. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> needless to say, I definitely did not apply for that because 50 a day, uh, or for, sorry, 50 a month is too much for me. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's insane. Either way, like, it's just, I think I saw too, somewhere down there, there was like a 20 to 20 or like 20 to 30 per person a month type of deal so maybe like I don't I don't know because their number changed and I'm also like that's still if you're working five days a week for four weeks that's five ten fifteen twenty days you still want not like more than one article a day which again if you have to actually play these games to review you're doing that on your off time like <laughs> I, like I said I don't I don't know how they expect that to be possible but I'm sure they do it um, but it doesn't sound like it would be that much fun, <laughs> which is the hype that they were trying to ensue with their, um, their, um, job posting. I did not apply for that one. One that I applied for is freelance editing for books, which I would absolutely not mind doing at all. Um, <laughs> there was also one as, um, the word is escaping me transcription stuff transcription work they had a proper title i think for that um but it was a transcriber non-medical for a company and quite frankly i can type fast enough that i would be able to keep up with that but i don't have any experience with it yet um as far as transcription goes but i mean with these job applications you're gonna have to start lying a bit to get a foot through the fucking door 
Because I had put zero used experience, because I'm an honest human being, my application was basically almost immediately rejected. So I'm like, if I had put in a year, then you'd review my cover letter and my resume and see that I did something I can do, even though I've never done it. You can fucking be trained to do that shit. The worst part is when they ask for experience on something that you could easily be taught, but they aren't going to give you that time. You get training on any job. You're supposed to have some form of training. And you can learn things as you go, too. No one's going to come through the door unless they've worked that job their entire life, knowing every single thing. However, even if you work that job your entire life, you're still going to have to learn how that company does things if you're switching companies. So, like, say someone has done computer programming their entire life, their company might require you to use different things. You're going to have to learn those different things. And it just doesn't make sense to me that these things are so required that you can't get in without them anymore. Like, okay, um, I can tell you that I basically would transcribe when I was doing, you know, on the phone work because I would type out what clients are saying to me. Maybe not exactly the same things for the entire transcript of a conversation, no. But I know that I type fast enough to be able to get like, okay, this is what they're looking for in while they're talking. Like, I'm good enough at that. That could easily be moved to transcription. Like, it's an easy transition. Yes, it requires, unless they talk like me, where I talk ridiculously fast. But, like, still, it's possible to do. It's not a hard skill to pick up if you already type fast. And I already type fast. I think I was at, like, 90-something words per minute when I did this silly test before I got hired back in the day. Or when I, when I was moving to chat, they also had a requirement for a certain number of words per minute. And I'm way past that word per minute thing. So that was fine. Like, it's, 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 when you know how to type, it's not hard to type fast. So I can keep up with that. But I'm sitting here thinking, like, what? Like, you gotta fudge the truth a bit to even get a foot through the door these days. Which I honestly would have no problem doing if it's only stretching the truth a bit. Like, like I said, I've done no formal editorial work, but I've done a lot of editorial work on a friend's, like, school papers, job application posts, like, formal emails back and forth. I obviously proofread my own shit all the time. Like, yeah. So I guess I do do editorial work as it begins as it is. I also am very decent with words. I'm better at writing than I am sometimes with talking as evidence via these things. But I'm good with words. So especially with book editing, I would fit that pretty well. I want to write my own books. One of them I saw would have been really great. However, you like you had to be an author to do it. It was how to like it was a book um novel writing teacher or something similar to that kind of job title. I don't remember the exact title. Um, You had to be on the bestseller list at some point. You had to have had a bestseller at some point. I'm not published. I have written fanfic. So, I mean, like, technically that's published on Tumblr, (laughs) but it's not a published book. Uh, So I couldn't apply for that, sadly. But The thing is, just because you have not been published does not mean you don't know how to write. I have written a lot of stuff. I've written short stories. I've written poetry stuff. I've written actual stories. I had fan fictions that would go on for many chapters. My issue, though, too, is I would lose focus on wanting to write them just because some days you don't want to write, which I think is the same for anything of a creative nature. Sometimes you just can't do it. You get writer's block or artist block or, you know, you just don't have inspiration or motivation for that particular time frame. That happens with anything creative, though. <laughs> like, it's easy to go into a job where all you do is push a button and you don't have to think. And like, yes, you might not like the fact that that's your job, but thankfully you can still go in and do it without having to put too much thought behind it. When you do something creative, you have to have your thought behind it and still somehow keep that inspiration. Like, if you have a day where you're not inspired, 
for work, for example, like say, okay, say your job is to go push some buttons or do what I do, for example, log in and deal with customers for eight and a half hours. Even on days where I'm not motivated to want to do my job, I can still easily go in and do it. And it's not a problem. It doesn't really reflect in my work because I still put in the same level of whatever to my job. But when you don't have that creative motivation and you still try to push yourself to do it, sometimes the product definitely doesn't come out the way that you wanted to. Like um, my line art stuff, you can tell when there are days that I didn't like, okay, let me preface this with I scrutinize my own work like nobody's business. An artist usually does scrutinize their own work so they can see these things, but not everybody else might see them because they're subtle. But to the person who created it, they're obvious. Um, anyways, but you can see or I can see the days where I was not motivated. You can see that that reflects in the, the shapes or the line quality. So like you can see like, oh, on this particular like during this section, I was not in the mood to do it because you can see that the lines are heavy handed or there's a little more mistakes, etc., etc. Whereas someone who just is looking at it, they might not look at that and see that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But as the artist, you can see that that was how it reflects. But when you're writing too, for example, if you're writing stuff out, you can also see when a writer has lost interest for this particular part or it's the, I'll call it busy work to help a story. It's the shit you don't want to do, but you have to include it. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to just jump to the next part. Like there are some parts where you can see that the person has thrown their passion into this entire thing and you can see that that's evident and I pick up on that stuff when I'm reading books and stuff as well where you can see this was a part they were super happy to do or super excited or whatever they threw a lot of energy into this particular part but then there's the busy work which is the in-between stuff where it's like ah okay now I need to I can't just be like all right and then you know they're going through the forest um, to go to this mystical whatever, and then it's just them walking. You gotta make that interesting enough, if that's relevant to the story. You can't just teleport from this town to this town without that awkward jump sometimes. Because you can use those points in the middle to like build some character stuff. Or when you're doing backstory, that's not my favorite thing, but I have to do it for me. Otherwise, it doesn't make the story as immersive without some form of backstory. Like I write, when I'm writing fan fiction, for example, which is not a very good example because it's fan fiction. It's based on, based loosely on people that already exist, for example. Um, I like to make the fan fiction as immersive as possible because then for me, when I read fan fiction, it's much more enjoyable to actually feel like it's feasible so I'm not very good at like fantasy style fan fiction with people that already exist. You give me fantasy writing and I will try to make it as plausible as I can. Like um, like I have an idea for what would make a perfect Black Mirror episode because it's not a fully developed story. However, there's enough of the key points that Black Mirror's format is for their show that this would be an episode that would fit. I have done a lot of sideways research that isn't necessarily relevant to how I want the story to go, but I still want it to be something that could feasibly happen, if that makes sense. Like for Black Mirror, they have a lot of far-fetched stuff that also feels like it would be integrated enough that it's possible to happen. Like um, the one episode about the social media with the ratings and everything where the girl starts off in like a 4.2 and she wants to go up to like this 4.7 to get into this beautiful like country, like house setup thing or not country, um, sub suburban area or whatever. And so she'll like constantly rate her, you know, interactions very five star, blah, blah, blah. But because she wasn't getting enough ratings from higher level people, her averages were like the three points that were high or the low 4.2s or whatever. That still is a very feasible outcome from our usage of social media. I really hope it never gets like that because it's fucking ridiculous, but it's a feasible type of thing. And the episode idea that I have in my head 
would make a very feasible step for things like zombie stories. It's a it's a slightly different take on it, and it's very medical sci-fi, but it still is a very f- plausible thing if I do my research. There's ways to, you know, fudge around the truth, and with sci-fi, you're fudging the truth with a lot of things. Like, you have to kind of suspend reality, suspend your belief of certain things, like... Take Star Trek, for example, warp speed, blah, blah, blah. Like, you have to suspend belief to kind of enjoy those things, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's the hope that it would one day be feasible. Maybe not in my lifetime, but it's the hope that that would be feasible. But also, it's just nice to enjoy. The thing about the story that I have in my head is it's very unsettling, and I want it to be unsettling in a spooky type of, like, it's it's feasible, and this is why it would be scary is because it's feasible. That's what I would feel. Like I said, it's very wonderful for Black Mirror's format of show. And and I really, really think that that would be something that they could do as an episode or a good short story or with enough research, it could be a book. It would probably not be a book series because I can't really see it going very far as a series based on the idea, but it would make a very good single book. I do feel like it would kind of be up my dad's alley as far as the books that I recall him reading when I was living with them at the time. It would be a good book. He would enjoy it, I think, if I write it well. So, like, that's the thing. But I also like to make my stories believable that it could happen. So I do the same thing with my fan fictions as well. I like to set it up in a scenario where it's realistic how you become in the relationship with the person, for example, or whatever. I was trying to write one as a mafia alternate universe fan fiction, but because it's still based on a real person, it's hard for me to set that reality of they're not in the mafia aside, because I know that they're not, but like to put them in the mafia and like how that would be, it's a very challenging type of approach for me, but it's it's not like it's hard. It's just for me, my brain is like, okay, let's make this a feasible, possible thing without it being too outlandishly fiction, even though it's fiction, you know? I want it borderline reality, but also it's fiction. <laughs> so, like, I love those ones that are not so outlandishly fantasy. I used to read a lot of fantasy young adult books as as a kid and stuff. Like, that was my genre of choice. And I always enjoyed them, even though they're not written in a realistic type of way. I always enjoy them. But for me, with my own writing, that's how I prefer to write. Just because then it makes it more immersive. And I really love the immersion in stories. That's something I always aim to have in stories, especially with fan fiction with existing people. So, you know, yeah, things that could feasibly happen. And that's what makes them fun for me. So I feel like even if I can't make my own books, editing would be fine. I'm a decent enough person with words that I feel like I could do a decent job editing things without changing their whole thing. I can help find words or phrases or ways of saying things slightly better sometimes or grammar. I'm pretty decent at grammar. I, When I was in my writ classes in college, I would get high 90s every time because I was not decent at it. To be fair, it was only when I was properly taught how to write essays because I had never properly been taught how to write essays They always try to give you the this is what you write kind of thing, but like it never sank in until college, which is really sad to say. Like my essays, even in high school, used to be pretty crap. Like I feel like they were decent enough because obviously I passed, but like they were not great. And then I got into college and because I was getting perfect on several of them, it only took about two or three where the teacher was like, okay, now you need to try doing two points where you disagree and one point where you agree. And then it was full on just go the opposite way. <laughs> one point where you agree and two where you disagree. Because like usually it would be okay, agree and rephrase or disagree and tell us why. Um, and that taught me how to write essays real well. And that I learned because of that teacher actually taking the time to properly explain a thesis statement 
because my teachers never fully explained a thesis statement in a way that kind of sank in with me until college. So college definitely was worth the time to do, even though it was very expensive. But it helps then in later classes with other essays, and I aced those too. So I'm pretty decent at those things. And honestly, like, I don't mind reading some stuff. I do, when it's people I know, and it's fan fictions or stories, if they send them to me to read for enjoyment, I do immediately find myself nitpicking on little things when I'm reading them. I nitpick, I'll be completely honest, I nitpick my own shit, especially if I go back and read them later. I'm like, I can see where I could have done that part better. But I can't just read... I don't read a lot of fan fiction anymore. I used to, but there's just, I can't do it anymore. I know that they're writing it for fun and that, you know, it's not my work, but I can't just read fan fiction for fun because I can't, like, I don't feel like I can be like, hey, this is phrased a little bit weirdly or this doesn't make sense with what you said earlier, etc. Like, I can't, I can't do that. And sometimes also just how it's written is not very good. Sometimes word choices or phrases and stuff just don't work. But I can't nitpick because they just sent it for me to read for fun. They're like, hey, I've written a thing. Do you want to check it out? I'm like, not really because I'm going to nitpick it and I don't want to. I started a book because I found it on TikTok because of the author. And I love the concept of the book. I really do, but I'm reading it, and the first eight pages in, I can tell that there's a lot of embellishments on the writing, but also there's some stuff there that's like, you said almost this exact sentence a sentence ago, or you said this particular phrase the sentence ago, and and it bothers me when I see writing like that. Like I can tell that she's still a very new author, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all at all at all. She's published. I'm not. I can't say much on that. (laughs) But like for me, when I'm reading it, I can tell that it's very green. I'll still nitpick any books that I read. I'm not gonna lie. I nitpick things because I'm just like, oh, interesting. I can't read a lot of the Lord of the Rings series because of just how it's written. I'm like, you don't need to use all the, the fancy script. It's like for for when you're reading sometimes you can kind of see the embellishments added into it to kind of make this seem more meaty or whimsical or I don't know the word but like you see it as kind of floopy. You know? It's like you're picking bigger words because of the the eloquence but all you're doing is diminishing the story value with all the eloquence because you're throwing too much in there. Like, I like visuals in my writing, yes, but I'm not going to make an entire paragraph visuals when I'm just trying to say the guy walked across the grass. I'm not going to be the guy lightly tread across the dewy morning field. That's way too much for that, unless that actually has a meaning for the story. Then they later slipped on the dew because it was morning dew or whatever. Like, you don't need to draw that attention to eloquence to me. That's my taste. But sometimes when you use too much of a fancy thing, it undercuts the fancy and then it makes it feel cheap. (laughs) And I have had no issues with the story itself. But some of the writing throws me off because it's still very new writing. Like I said, she's published, I'm not. I can't say much. But you can tell that the, the, it's new. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a chance. I really want to because like I said, the story itself sounds very compelling. But it's hard to kind of chew through some of that stuff. But also, there's a lot of repetition in places, and that repetition always bothers me. Repetition of a thing, unless you're really trying to drive that point home, does not need to happen! You don't need to say, oh, they walked across the grass. 
and then draw attention to that again, unless it's actually relevant to the story or like, unless that's a key point that you want us to focus on, you don't need to repeat it two or three times in about three paragraphs. So please don't repeat the same thing unless it's actually relevant to the story for us to remember. Like all my repetition just now. It's relevant. Don't repeat. Because repetition gets annoying. <laughs> but like I said, they're published. I'm not. But I would love the job of editing books. Because I am not mean about criticism when I'm talking to someone who's doing the writing. I'll be mean to myself. Or I'll just do general, like, this is a thing that really bothers me. Like in the stories, for example, like you can see that it's a fairly new author and it's fairly new writing because of how it's done. But that's not a bad thing to be a new writer because she's published and she's got another book on the way. And like I said, the storyline itself sounds very compelling. And they're published and I'm not. I know this. I have not done that myself. I have not sitting down, written a full book from start to finish. I have ideas, but I don't have the whatever to do it. <laughs> They're published. I'm not. I'm aware of this. I'm not trying to be the backseat. Oh, I can do it better because realistically, they're published. I'm not. I know this. But it's one of those things that you can see a seasoned writer, even if you look at seasoned writers in their first books, if you go back to some people in their first books, you'll see the difference in writing. Obviously, that comes with time. You get a better grasp of how to, you know, phrase things without it being ridiculous or like you just you get the feel for how to write. And that comes with time. That comes with practice. And there's nothing wrong with that. You got to start somewhere. So do it. But because I'm not in the position of editor, I can't nitpick it and not feel slightly guilty about the fact that I'm nitpicking. Like, I can hardly enjoy books because I nitpick so much. <laughs> I started a book that I thought would be right up my mom's alley because I was like, I'm going to read it and then I'm going to give it to her to read. And some of how it's written, I can't get past. And I'm just like, no. But I don't consciously do this. It just happens. It's the same with TV shows. I nitpick TV shows. I'm really bad at that. Because I'm just like, there's a better way this could have been done. Or this doesn't make sense. Or why did they do this and not this? Because again, there's a certain level of suspension of belief that you have to do for these things. And it's hard for me to do that. I'm a very realistic person for most things. Except for my feelings for redacted. Apparently I can't be realistic about that. Um, I try to, <laughs> but I can't. Y'all know how I beat myself up over that. So, like, it's, it's, I love the whimsical. And like I said, I used to read fantasy novels like nobody's business. I would eat those books up. I would take a milk crate home full and be done within the week that it was, or two weeks or whatever our time limit was. I can't remember. But I would be done by the time we go back to the library. I would just nom those things. And I never used to care. But somewhere, something changed. I think it was once I started getting better at writing myself because of schoolwork because I then learned how to do this better, <laughs> that I started not enjoying that as much because I was nitpicking. Like, I have books that I got because I really, really, really enjoyed them when I first read them. Like, the Night School series I loved when I first started reading it, and then somewhere along the line, I can't read that the same way anymore. And it's not just fantasy versus the fact that they're young adult novels, etc. Because like I said, I can't read The Lord of the Rings because of too much eloquence. I tried. I did. I picked up one of the books, started flipping through it. And I'm like, mm, no, sir, this is too much. They're very well written. They're free, what, critically acclaimed books. They've made the movies. They have their standing. So obviously it's not, you know, my opinion means diddly squat. They're good books. They're not for me because I can't get past how how much they've how how much they are you know and it's one of those things it's i love the movies but the books i cannot do because <laughs> i can't get past the how much they are just for the sake of being much but like i said it obviously doesn't make a difference because that's his style of writing and 
many people like it. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. It just is not for me. But I'm not in a position where I could be like, oh, well, this should have been written differently because it's not my job. And it's just like, and, and that's also why I can't read people's fan fictions of like friends of mine because I can't do it without nitpicking. And I know that that's not why they're sending it to me. They're not sending it to be read over, to double check things like grammar or story. They're just sending it to me because they want me to read it. I'm very picky with my fan fiction. Very, very picky with fan fiction, especially because I've I always have been. If it's a well-written fan fiction, you bet your ass I'm going to read it. But if it's not well-written, I cannot do it. And it only takes about a paragraph or two to tell if it's a well-written fan fiction or not. And then if it's not, and you scroll through later down just to give it a shot somewhere else in the story in hopes that it got better, um, no, most of the time when I've done it, it has not been the case. So I basically just don't read fan fiction. I'll write it. It's funny. I'll write fan fiction. But I will not read it very much anymore. It's weird. It's one of those things. I'll do the thing, but I won't. I won't read them. Like I'll. I'll make these podcasts, but I don't listen to them that much. And and if people don't listen to these ones, it's absolutely fine. But it's not for me when I look like listening to them isn't really for me, which sounds not unfair because obviously people don't have to listen to the mine if they don't want to. My average is around three listen, like three people who listen. There's a, an average around three plays per podcast, and that's fine. <laughs> I enjoy making them, but it isn't really my thing to listen to them. So maybe one day, but it's not for me. I enjoy writing fan fiction, but I don't read it very much, especially now. I also haven't written any in a very long time, but it's something I enjoy doing rather than watching or spectating. It's the same with sports, though, too. I'm much more of a I'd-rather-play-the-sport-than-watch-it kind of person. And, like, I might not be good at them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not good at them. <laughs> I was not good at soccer. They kept telling me to go certain places, and I'm like, I don't understand because I thought I had to stay in this section, so why are you telling me to go there when I was supposed to stay in the section uh, yeah, so I might not be very good at it, but I definitely enjoy playing over watching, especially like I enjoy doing rather than spectating. If that that's a better way to phrase it. I enjoy doing rather than spectating. So it's the same with podcasts. I enjoy doing rather than listening. I enjoy writing rather than reading. So uh, well, you would think that if I like writing, I would like reading, but I don't because I'm too critical of things that are meant to be enjoyed. <laughs> So I'm going to go. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for tuning in. Have a wonderful, fantastic day, evening, morning, afternoon, night, whatever time of day it is for you. Peace out. Bye.